the question that I need to uh, repeat because of the I'm getting recorded here and projected here. So, um, how is singleness better than the blessings of singleness better than the the blessings of marriage? What are the blessings now, and how, and how are they better? Because I preached a sermon in which I said that. Um, I also said that if you're married, you, you have blessings that are better than singleness. I don't know if you remember that. In other words, the life of singleness brings with it blessings that married people do not have. And the life of marriage brings with it blessings that singles do not have. And in those categories, those blessings are better. So I'm not ranking uh, singleness in marriage as superior one to the other. I'm saying that each brings blessings that the other does not have. And so um, the blessing that Paul is most jealous that you maximize is the blessing of not being constrained to build your life around another person. Um, he said that if you're married, you must labor to please the other person. And I think that's a very broad, overarching statement of all the ways you have to, you have to build your life in harmony with one other human being in a really close way. Everything you do in marriage is affected by that other person and everything you do affects them. And they are never the same and there are always issues that have to be continually attended to, which means you cannot give all of the energy to some other things that you might like to give them to. The energy I have invested in making my um, marriage work over these years is huge, especially in seasons when it wasn't working. And there will always be such seasons when the, the trials of two very different people trying to live happily ever after aren't, aren't succeeding. And so the, the energy investment, as well as the sheer time factors, you must invest time in each other. I, I went to a counselor with Noel the other day because of some wider family issues that we were dealing with. And, and you know what it pretty much boiled down to for me? They said, Piper, uh, you need to understand that many people, including the people that you're concerned about, feel loved in direct proportion to how much time you invest in them. Well, frankly, I'm busy. <laughs> um, so I, I had to sit down with Noel after that and just look at our lives and say, so what's, how do we do this? What's going to change? So um, those, those two things I've said so far, the time issue and the sheer energy that goes into navigating life with another person to understand them and uh, build your life in proportion with them. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, he loved not having to do that. Now, you can go the selfish route with that 
and be your own cool, independent, self-sufficient person playing your games till the day you drop. Or you could be like Paul and say, the reason I love my freedom is because I can lay my life down without a wife having to worry that I'm in prison. Or about to get my head chopped off or that I came home with my back lacerated again. I mean, but Paul, Paul just could not imagine dragging a wife through what he was going to be living. And so we won't all walk through that kind of pain, but there will be stresses. So I, I, I think the, the blessing is mainly one of freedom to not build your life around another person and therefore design a ministry schedule and a ministry focus and a ministry emphasis that is more your own to call than mine is. I have to build Noel and Talitha continually into my, my life and therefore I am restrained often in what I would want to write, what I would want to read and study, uh, visits and places I'd like to go and people I'd like to talk to, evangelism I'd like to do, and on and on. Uh, I have to constantly say, I'm married. I'm a dad. This is a huge ministry. And, and it is. And it's not an evil one. Those, those no's are not, are not bad to say. Um, in that, let me, let me say one more thing. A third thing would be the disappointments of singleness are a unique blessing. In other words, not to be able to have sexual relations is a huge challenge spiritually for men and women. Not to be able to be hugged at night, to go home to an empty apartment, to, to have a holiday sneak up on you and nobody thinks to invite you over. That's painful. And I'm saying that unique challenge is a unique blessing, if you will let it be. Just like every other kind of pain in life is a blessing, if you let it be. God doesn't want you to waste any of your pain. Marry pain, and there will be. Single pain, and there, and there will be. So those three things, the freedom piece, the time piece, and the pain piece, I think are all unique kinds of blessings if we will let the Lord make them blessings. Hmm. The question is how can how should singles be uniquely involved in advancing what I described as the growth of a certain kind of relational culture defined by especially Philippians 2.4 don't just take interest in your own things but take interest in the things of others um, singles will have a unique opportunity with each other and married people will have a unique opportunity with singles and singles will have a unique opportunity with marriage in other words um, you, you can be there for each other in ways that married can't and you can be there for marriage in ways that are unique, and they can be there for you in ways that are unique. And if you would receive from singles and receive from marriage and give to singles and give to marriage in this relational dynamic, unique things would happen. I, I hope and pray 
that we're not carved up. In a sense, I, I like what you're doing tonight, and in a sense, I get nervous about it because I know that the single culture can get dysfunctional, and you don't want to be that. You're not here because you are that. You have other hungers and desires, and yet, and yet you're in a unique role. Who doesn't want to be like people who understand their situation, right? I like to hang out with people who are pastors, and, and I like to hang out with people who are married, and, and I like hanging out here, but for different reasons. So the, uh, what I'm saying is that singles have a place in that they are different from marriage and therefore provide opportunities for married people to love on you in ways that they ought to and you on them. Don't don't steer away from having relationships with, with married people. When you choose a small group, consider the possibility of a small group of mixed people. Go down the list if you're not in a small group and, and see where it says all kinds welcome and uh, get it's so healthy to be folded in I just you know somewhere along the way I'm going to have to lift up some models here for you and and uh, you should really have a Q&A with Char Ransom right okay Char's older older you know it, one of the funny things about English language is that in the word old if you make it comparative means less old than old if you say older it means less old than if you say old Older is supposed to be more old than old, but older is a softening of old, and so she's older. You don't, so raise your hand if you've ever heard of Shaw Ransom. Goodness, you don't even know who I'm talking about. Okay, so she's an older woman at the North Campus who's been here probably for 50 years, and she's been single all those years, and she could have been married at least twice that I know of because I watched a man court her in the, in the auditorium. I've been here 28 years. I watched this happen, and she... She decided no. So uh, she, the reason for that is Char models unbelievably aggressive in your life. I'm here and I'm not ashamed of being single and I'm not self-pitying and I'm all over the pastors and I'm all over committees and I'm all over people because I love people. And so no, I don't think anybody looks at Char and says, oh, you know, poor spinstress or whatever the word was years ago. Uh, they, nobody even thinks that when they see Char. They just think, uh, boy, she's on her third hip replacement and she's up already and got that kind of zeal. And um, So I think my, my answer um, is that the way the relational culture will advance through singles is by you simply being mature, humble, wise, loving, caring Christians across all kinds of lines, male, female, old, young, married, single. The question is how to deal with the longing, the very intense longing, even painful longing of being single and wishing that someday God would bring someone to marry. Um, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. That was Discipleship 101 in Acts 14.22. And for some that's pain in marriage and for some that's pain out of marriage, but nobody escapes pain. So having a solid theology of loss, theology of disappointment, theology of suffering, theology of affliction is absolutely crucial. And part of that theology is, number one, God is absolutely sovereign. Number two, God is absolutely good. Number three, 
I'm his child through faith alone in Jesus. Number four, no good thing does he withhold from his children who walk uprightly. Which means that he will give you what you need to lead the life fully pleasing to him and fully and deeply and eternally satisfying to yourself. So a theology of of suffering and sovereignty and goodness is crucial because if you sink into bitterness and anger at God, your life will be ruined with or without a, a spouse. I was on the phone today with a young man who's Um, I'm going to be so careful here. Whose wife is in very serious uh, psychological trouble. And and, uh, I just ached with him. Um, He is wonderfully mature in that he said, I believe my calling in life is to serve my wife, not to escape this. Once upon a time, he said, when I discovered it, I thought, how did I get into this? And God taught him some deep things about suffering and deep things about love and deep things about service and trust. And, uh, and now he, he would not. He looks her right in the eye with all the difficulties and says, there's nobody else that I want. There's no place else I'd rather B, I I don't think anything you will endure as a single person will compare with what he may have to live with. I use this analogy, and this is public, so I'll go ahead and say these names. Um, Greg Livingstone, the founder of Frontiers, just was chosen the alumnus of the year at Wheaton College, my alma mater. I noticed I got an email to that effect. Greg... And Sally, his wife, have done wonders in their lives because of the founding of a a mission that is the largest mission in the world now to Muslim peoples. You You don't tread on Satan's doorstep like that without massive opposition. And his wife has suffered unbelievably. And uh, I won't give the details, but just... uh, He's, he's, a, he's probably four or five years older than I am. He's just laid down the reins at Frontiers. And I stand amazed at both of them, really. Her in her brokenness and him in his unbelievable love and patience. So the, 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 the point there is when you think about the unique trials that you will face either all your life or for a while as a single, just know you're not being picked on. You're not being picked on. God loves you. God does plan life for you that's good for you. And I would plead with you to maximize your present life in terms of outgoing ministry to people. And uh, I don't want you, I don't, I'm not presuming you should be naive and disappear into nowhere and never cross paths with men or women. Uh, It's good to be in a church. Church is the place, I think, where people should find wives and husbands. Schools and churches, where else does it happen, right? Hopefully not bars, you know. Um, 
that's a wonderful gift to you uh, that there is church and there are schools. So um, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own insight. Believe that he's on your side. Cultivate outgoing love that's not self-conscious about yourself. Become a person for others. Uh, keep yourself as attractive male and female as you can but don't put over much energy in that really in the end if a guy or a gal marries another because of their looks mainly they're going to blow it really really badly so many other things are way way more important the Bible is so clear that men and women should work on character issues above looks issues I think there's kind of a just you know comb your hair and go be kind <laughs> uh, one more question before uh, we turn it over uh, others asking questions so this would be a good time if somebody had a question to walk up to that microphone um, just you, you said um, that singles should develop a um, robust theology of suffering you got any books in mind other than other drinking a lot of eating a lot of the bible you have some books in mind that that would be if somebody wanted to do that. Um, well, let me tell you what I've put together first because that's the most immediate thing on my mind. The, we did a conference here on suffering, and uh, those those talks are gathered together in a book on suffering. Got a blue cover available at Desire and God or in the bookstore here. So, so that's one. Um, just a testimony. I think when I when I wrote uh, Desiring God, I was I wrote it in between eighty three and it was published in eighty six eighty seven. So I would have been thirty seven to forty or so. It didn't have a chapter on suffering in it in the first edition. Now, Desiring God has a chapter on suffering. Future Gaze has a chapter on suffering. Let the Nations Be Glad has a chapter on suffering. Because as a pastor, this is almost the main thing I think about. And so my books all have those chapters on suffering. There's a book called All for Good. I think it's an old Puritan book. I think it's Thomas Watson. And it's on Romans 8. 28. Um, Jonathan Edwards has an essay on the divine decrees, which is, I think, theologically and philosophically the most penetrating thing on his God's overarching sof- sovereignty over all, all things. It's found in the second volume of the, of the two-volume works of Edwards. Um, if I think of more, I'll tell you later. But let me say something about the questions, uh, and, and this is just going to hopefully not contradict what you say, but broaden it. Uh, you said go to the microphone mainly with singles issues. I think the healthiest thing about singleness is to view all things related to singleness. In other words, if you were to, I, I don't want singles to be consumed with singleness. <laughs> I want them to be consumed with God. And, and, and because if you get God right, 
singleness will shape itself around God. If you get the Bible right, if you get Christ right, if you get faith right, if you get justification right. So, so be a, the healthiest people in the world are the people who are self-forgetfully enraptured with great things outside themselves. I'm, I always aim to be that. I, if I'm thinking about how I'm coming across, I am failing. I feel I can't think. I feel bad. I, I'm, it's just not working. The, the most wonderful moments in preaching or in talking to my wife or in talking to you right now are the moments, which isn't happening right now because I'm talking about this, <laughs> are, are when I've, I've just gotten on a roll uh, and I'm outside myself and I'm seeing truth and I'm seeing Christ and I'm excited about Him and things and we're talking about that and you, and you wake up a half an hour later and you realize... I've been out of myself totally enjoying reality out there. It happens when friends get together and they're just conversing and they're talking about experiences and they're laughing and, and they're having fun. And, they, and later on that night you realize, I never even once thought about me. I just never thought about me. I was just totally relaxed and out of myself into other people. Um, yeah. What are the trials that might be unique or particular to singleness and how would you go about combating those let me just let me just uh, free free associate here for a moment and then back up and take them loneliness of a unique kind sexual continence that is um, all we're all wired to have sexual desire and singleness means you don't gratify it um, social standing in our culture and how you're viewed what's wrong with you maybe maybe more so for a guy than a gal a challenge of being perceived as okay um, um, getting old and wondering who's going to care for you in the last decade of your life. Those will be four that come to mind. Um, loneliness, I would attack first by knowing Jesus as my most precious friend. Because he'll never let you down. Absolutely will never, ever, ever let you down. I will be with you to the end of the age. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. It's my first strategy. Get to know him in his word and love him. He will never leave you. Number two, I would go to things like this and I would be a friend. I would be a friend. I wouldn't, wouldn't think mainly, how can I get friends? How can I get friends? Because then you're operating out of, out of need mainly. And we all do feel the need, but it's healthy if you can say, I'm going to be a friend. I'm going to be a friend. That'd be the second strategy. The third strategy would be to serve people in need, get a ministry. You know, most relationships. This is true for men anyway. I, I think it's probably pretty much true for women too. Relationships for men generally happen in common tasks. You, the, the vision I have anyway for brotherhood is shoulder to shoulder, sword in hand, common enemy. And then later on, you kind of, you like each other. 
but really you're just there side by side, and the issue is the, the common the common focus, the vision, the enemy, the whatever, and, and then later you realize you've bonded powerfully. Now, women, uh, I think, do that too, but they evidently, you evidently have the capacity to sit at a table with a cup of tea and talk to each other for hours. <laughs> doing relationship. And, and a lot of times we try to make men do that, and it's just awful when that happens. Like, I remember... You're going to have to get me back on track here in a minute, but I'll get, tell an illustration. David and Sally Michael uh, gave this illustration of the difference between men and women. They were trying to evangelize a neighborhood couple when they lived down here. About their age, maybe a little older than them, maybe closer to my age at that time. And so they invited the couple over, and they were just going to have a relationship, you know. And so Sally and the woman were sitting in the kitchen, and they just hit it off wonderfully, chat, chat, chat about neighborhood issues and all kinds of stuff. They were having a great time, and, and David and this guy were kind of, what do we do? And David said, want to go to the garage? <laughs> and David's very, very good with his hands. He's really, he can fix anything. And so they went to the garage, and I don't know what they did in the garage, but they had a relationship when it was over because they were thinking about the relationship and they just held it up as kind of a little bit of a parable of, of the difference. So my, my point is um, work toward being a friend and having relationships. All that in response to the loneliness piece. I hope the family of God can be family for you all your life, married or unmarried. Sexual life must be one of the largest challenges, and it's different for men and women, but it's not only men who struggle with what to do with their sexual drives. More, I mean, statistically, there are a lot of women looking at Internet pornography. Sometimes it begins with curiosity, what's going on out there, they talk about it so much, and then it can be way more because there's all different kinds, evidently, and and the relational peace for women to fantasize about being swept off their feet and then carried out into some meadow and whatever uh, is just different and yet real. So I, I, I don't want to presume that I'm just talking to men when I address this issue. Um, I would address that one the same way I would begin with the other one. Know the Lord Jesus deeply. Know his power, know his beauty, know his grace, know his patience, know how you are saved, know what heaven is like, know what hell is like, know how to be justified, know how to fight the fight of faith, know him. Pour yourself into the word and into Jesus Christ to know him well. Second, I would say... Um, Settle it that fornication is a sin. Settle it. Because the world is going to tell you otherwise big time. Example. In the early 80s, when you were not born or some of you were, um, there was a huge controversy in the Twin Cities about whether condoms would be advertised on television. And radio, public advertising. Oh, oh, here's the news, and everybody's talking about this. And 
And so uh, I got interviewed by a TV station, and, and I wrote an article for the Minneapolis Star Tribune saying, I don't think that's helpful. Everybody, if you want them, you know where you can get them. You know, you just this this was a this was a tacit approval of sex outside marriage is really what it what it was. So I wrote this article, and in it I basically quoted lots of scripture and said, uh, I know everybody's not a Christian, but here's the Christian standpoint: uh, it's real healthy for a society to restrict sexual intercourse to marriage. That's a good thing. I got a letter from a guy, just burning with anger and it just basically went like this not just who do you think you are telling us how to do sex out here in the world in the newspaper and and the bottom line argument was something like this you think I'm going to restrain this dimension of my humanness just because I don't have a ring on my finger or a piece of paper in my hand? That would be less than human. I'm human. You expect me to go all the way through life if I'm not married denying my humanness? That was the gist of the argument. And I thought, that's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful talk. I can see how that would just sweep sweep the field. It just has one problem. Jesus was the most beautiful, complete, glorious human that ever was. And he never had sexual intercourse with anybody. And he died without ever having it. And his father looked upon him. This is my beloved son. And with him I am well pleased. There are few triumphs. And few graces greater than for a man or a woman to live a life of lifelong chastity and go to heaven carrying the jewel of virginity to place before the king of kings. So settle it. That's what I would say. Just settle it. You know what the Bible teaches. It says flee fornication. That's the second thing. The third thing is develop strategies that take you outside your introspective, lonely self where all the fantasies are seething and get out of yourself into greatness. And this can be lots of things. It can be people. It can be music. It can be nature. It can be science. It can be hobbies. It can be church and service. It can be urban ministry. It can be videography. It just whatever. The idle mind is the devil's workshop. Who of us does not know that just being at home alone all by ourselves is where we start to think and think and think and and then the sexual desires just become all-consuming and we masturbate or something like that. And, what, and then you feel rotten. And, what, and you, you, know, you know that cycle well enough to grow up and say, well, this seems impossible in our culture, but with God, all things are possible. Um, one more story and then I'll, I'll get off of the sex thing. There was an article in Leadership Magazine in the early 80s called The Anatomy of Lust. It was the story of a pastor who was addicted to sexual uh, pornography and 
uh, live sex shows and everything short of, of intercourse. And he would go and do spiritual life seminars in big cities and on the downtimes, go downtown to peep shows and other stuff, nude bars and things. And he's writing this anonymously in Leadership Magazine, talking about the 10-year-long struggle of that while he's a pastor. <laughs> you just get, ugh, how much of that is there out there? And, and he said what broke it. And he said, I don't know why God would choose to answer the thousandth prayer when he said no to 999. He was reading a novel by Francois Mauriac, I think called The Red and the Black. He's written two that I, can, I may be mixing it up. But anyway, a novel by Francois Mauriac. And he said there was a passage in which he described goodness so magnificently and so beautifully everything in him wanted it more than he had ever wanted anything and something broke he wrote another article I don't know a decade or so later still anonymous saying it was still working to say that it hadn't been short lived and I, I tried to analyze now what happened there what was going on and I think it's something like this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. For when you want to see God bad enough, and you get glimpses of God in His greatness, um, there's a, a purity factor that figures in there. The purity enables you to see, and I'm arguing... When you see, it gives you power for more purity. I'll just my own testimony is this: my my lousiest, crummiest sexual season was about age thirteen to seventeen. Bad memories, junky stuff. I didn't get married till I was twenty-two, but something changed from seventeen to twenty-two that that revolutionized everything. Part of it was growing up and realizing this is just this is just like a dog in heat. This is really cheap. This is low. This is gutter-like. I don't like looking at myself in these moments of consumed fantasy life with uh, sexual temptation. And therefore, something was happening. And partly I was reading poetry, I was learning to write, I was appreciating nature, I was realizing I'm old enough to get married, and I wondered would any girls ever like me, and why would they even want to be around me if they knew what I was thinking, and all that stuff had a huge effect to say, I'm, I'm breaking out of this, this is just low and lousy and crummy, and, and God gave great deliverance in those five years from what had been, in my judgment, just bleh, sexual compromise. So, um, moving up and out of yourself into, into greatness. Um, that was two of them. What were the other two I mentioned? The other two. Lonely, getting old, I mentioned. Um, what was the other one? Social, yeah, yeah. 
Let's see, let me take them in reverse order. I'll try to be shorter. I know I'm talking too much. Um, I think the church is the key to aging. If it isn't, we're just going to we're failing. If we don't, as a family of believers, become the family for Shar Ransom, say, Shar's still up and about, but she won't always be up and about. And uh, if we don't get around those folks as a family and just all over them in care, bring them to church if they can't come, go in to visit them if they can't even be brought to church, reading them the Bible, singing to them, taking them, our children, and, and just folding them in as much as possible and then being there for them when they can't be there for themselves, maybe even into our own homes. So short answer for aging uh, as a single person, I feel really bad for people outside the church. What do they do? And I feel bad when churches don't do what they ought to do. The other one was how you're viewed in this world. And the two things that come to mind, and I'm sure there'd be more if I let myself think more. Uh, oh, uh, one is, maybe I'll forget them even before I finish saying two. One is, be a healthy, other-oriented person that doesn't dwell on your singleness so that people aren't prone to see you that way because you're so normally functioning in life. You, you move from relation to relation, in and out of married people's lives and single people's lives and men and women's lives. You do it in such a natural way that people, they don't, they don't type you. Uh, the, the second thing is more deep, namely... Let God define you. Let God say to you, I love you. I love you in your singleness. I love you as you are. I'm for you. Do not let other people's views of you be decisive or defining. You're going to need that when you're married. You're going to need it now. The question is, um, I, I... at a passion conference, addressed the issue of people who fail sexually as singles when they had a dream once upon a time of laying their lives down in some radical, significant way for Jesus, like on the mission field or somewhere, and then they commit fornication or stumble into some addiction with pornography or whatever, and and they feel so bad and so depowered and so defiled that they abandon their dream. What would I say to them? Um, well, my point was in that message, which is available somewhere, I suppose, that uh, the devil's real happy both when you fall and when you conclude from the fall that there's no future spiritually. In 1985, I went to a conference with George Verwer in Washington, D.C., almost got myself fired by what I wrote when I came back from this conference. And when I say it, some of you remember, because you've seen it online. But he talked mainly about that issue. How many young people are lost to missions because they masturbate or they have some 
weekend fling or something and they just feel they wrecked it and I'm just so weak and so so sensual and so worldly and so fleshly there could never come a day when I could be of any use to anybody and he was just going after that with a vengeance to say God can clean you up God can change you God can use you so I came back from that conference and all fired up yay amen get the singles fired up for Jesus and quit and I wrote an article called Missions and Masturbation. <laughs> oh, man. It was a star. You know, we, we have the star article here. So it was a star article. I had a woman stop at the door the next Sunday. She took, no, she didn't take me in. She looked at me and she said, You're sick. <laughs> she left the church eventually. And then good old Rollin Erickson, the grand old statesman here with, I think it was, Clayton Pites came in and sat down in my office and they said, John, I had only been here, well, yeah, five years. So I was 39 years old. They said, John, I wasn't very good. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of older women read those things. And a lot of single gals read those things. And I got emails. I got an email from the chaplain at West Point who said, that's been the most important thing our guys have read in a long time. So there was a, another side to this. I, did, I don't regret that I did it. I kind of wish I'd given a little heads up or sought some counsel or something. But the, 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 point, the point there to your question is the gospel is meant to cleanse us. I don't think singles who commit fornication or are coming out of long periods of habitual masturbation. I don't think singles are ruled out from missions or ruled out from the pastorate. I don't think women ought to be pastors, but my goodness, there's lots of ministerial things that women can be involved in that you're not ruled out from. What matters is, are you cleansed by the blood of the Lamb? Are you made whole? Are you hating what you did? Are you going to turn it for good? Are you giving yourself wholly to Him? So, I don't want you to feel like you've ruined your whole life if you stumbled in the past. One more? Okay. Yep. yep. Um, I've only been coming here for a short time, about a year now, and um, I had never heard of you or any of your writings before I came. But the first time I actually went to the Desiring God website, I was looking for your sermon on that week, and I clicked the wrong button, I clicked on your message of the day. And this is honestly the first thing I have ever read that you had written, and it was a letter that you had written in 1984 titled, A Frank Warning About Masturbation. Do you recall by any chance? <laughs> a Frank Warning? I wonder if... No, I don't remember it. <laughs> but I mean, you surely can imagine doing it. <laughs> a, a, a very powerful read for me. I found it very enlightening. And, and it, it talked about it. One message was that yeah, I, I opposed it, which was in 1984, there was a lot of stuff going around about how oh, we shouldn't think that way anymore. Yeah. I was in high school, and, and everybody was talking about how we should be, be normalized. And I found that very, the, the very fact that you've written in 1984 when I as a youth was struggling with the issue, hmm. for me, it was a, a real deliverer. Hmm. Uh, and I was just wondering if you'd had any other thoughts on the issue since 1984. <laughs> I don't bring it to mind very often unless I'm asked questions that that uh, um, let me try to think whether I've had other thoughts about it 
the only the only thing that keeps jumping to the front of my mind that I should say is the longer I live the less mechanical I feel the fewer answers I feel I have at the nitty-gritty level that is here's ten things to do and you know take a cold shower and look at, don't look at magazines and uh, get get covenant eyes on your computer and you know, here's five six things and I think all those might be okay but I, I just I don't I just don't go there as often as I might have. I, I, I usually am not very satisfying to people when they ask me how questions. A girl leaned over a bench Wednesday night. said, I'm feeling really, really dark, really abandoned by the Lord. Tell me what to do. And I, I mean, she wanted one, do this, do this, do this, and light will shine. And I'm, I'm much, my main thing now is to say, get a big view of God. Just, if I could leave you with any singles impacting counsel, it would be get a massive view of God. Get overwhelmed with God. Because underneath that, when that starts to happen in your life, a hundred problems start to solve themselves that my little how-tos could never solve. And it's, it trickles down in ways that no, nobody can quite explain. And it goes like this. This is Second Corinthians 3.18. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. When, when I have a big, satisfying, moving, stirring, sweeping view of God... My wife's foibles don't bother me near as much. And therefore, I'm not as irritable. And therefore, I love her better. And I'm a better dad. All that trickling down from what I saw this morning, what I felt about God. So I would almost rather not write a letter you know, at, at, at that level of, here's ten things to help not masturbate. I'd, I'd rather write the big letter about God, call a lot of singles to read it, and have it, have it trickle down and find somebody waking up, because I, I haven't had that kind of overwhelming impulse for a long time now. So that, if there are new things, I'm just not remembering, remembering them right now, but I, I still believe what I said there. I, the, the main problem with masturbation, some of you are sitting there thinking, is it really wrong? Um, I, I think is what goes on in your head. It's what goes on in your head. It's, um, it's a rare person that can masturbate without some, some fantasy that's inappropriate. And I, I'm, I don't experiment. <laughs> uh, but you don't, you don't want to be, you don't want your head there. You don't want to go there with your brain. It's defiling the, the, the whole thing. You, uh, and that's where, the, out, of the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and out of the abundance of the heart we do we do we look at what we look at and we do what we do so we want our heart to be pure and clean and full of God um, the question is um, most of the women in this room are intelligent educated and on their way uh, towards more education and and uh, some kind of uh, way to support yourself if a man doesn't sweep you into his life and become your your leader, provider, protector, and, and you become a homemaker, which would, is a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm 
I'm glad women do it, but, but single women don't have that option yet. And so they have to think, oh, what should I do? Let dad support me till I'm, you know, 80? Or, um, so I, I realize in this culture, you, you don't have any options. You must, you must move toward a career-like thing. And that creates a tension for a lot of you, not all of you. Some of you are just gangbusters, get out of my way, men. I'm not interested anyway. I've got, I've got vision for my life. Um, others of you would, would love to be interrupted on, along that way, and yet you know that's where you need to go. Um, my, my feel is that this culture is not an accident. God, God isn't saying, shoot, they should all be farmers. <laughs> Because women knew where they fit, you know. They did the eggs, and men did the cows. And everybody was working like crazy, right? None of this talk about do women work. Well, everybody works or you die. Now, today, it, we're just so westernized so that you don't, what, what, what do you do? A homemaker is a full-time job if, if a woman wants it to be. And she's got some time to invest in the community, invest in the church, and a lot of things. So that's beautiful. But, but for you, what I want to say is um, there is a way for men to be men and women to be women uniquely as singles moving through life. Not easy because our culture is not giving you any help in this at all. They don't believe in it. They think what I'm saying right now is sexist and... Uh, unjust and hurtful for me to say there's a unique feminine way to navigate life and a unique masculine way to navigate life and that they intersect uniquely. In other words, a man should treat a single woman differently than he treats a single guy. And a single woman should navigate her relationship with a man differently than she navigates her relationship with a guy. And that isn't just chemistry and biology. That's personhood. The example, I think that men are wired, married or unmarried, to be initiative takers and leaders and protectors and providers. Now that's going to look different between a single woman and her mailman than a single woman and her dad or a pastor or brother or her future or fiancé. All those relationships are unique. I'm not squashing them down to say one thing. But they're, di they're different. This mailman's a man. The, the example I used to give at Bethel, I mean, back in the 70s when I was teaching at Bethel, I mean, I, this was really, really hot. It may still be. I don't know who I'm talking to here, kind of. But I would talk like this, that, that women are women, and there should be a certain kind of deference and submission to men in their appropriate roles, different for different ones. And you find a way to honor a man's manhood, even if he's the messenger boy and you're the manager of the bank. And he's bringing you on his yellow bicycle the envelope from the other bank. There's a way to honor him as a man, I'm, I'm arguing. The, the example I would give just to test them, to see if they wanted to reject what I was saying entirely, was I'd say, okay, here's two Bethel students, a guy and a gal, and they're sort of, you know, just friends. They're not dating or anything, but might want to. And so he gets up the gumption to say, you want to walk across the uh, highway over there and go to McDonald's? And... Uh, and uh, sure, and and they're going, and on their way back, it's gotten dark, and a guy jumps out with a knife, going to threaten her. Now let's suppose that she has a black belt in karate, 
and he has never fought anybody in his life except in his imagination. <laughs> now, I, I said, and I mean this with all seriousness, that uh, everything in this man, and I do not think this is mere culture, this is the way God means for us to be wired by virtue of creation, will be to step in front of her and do what he can do. And if he gets taken out by her and she finishes him off, then so be it. But it's not about competencies. It's not about competencies. That's just kind of a little window into what I mean by innate impulses that are, are guiding us through life. So if a single woman is moving in her career towards greater and greater influence, as a Christian who believes she should have a certain kind of submission to men, not all men the same, certainly not to pastors the same as husbands, or male men the same as pastors, or, you know, so on and so on, so on but, but certain kind of feminine response, you will find a way. I'm just, or you will find a way to be appropriately a woman in the various roles that you can take. And if you bump into one where you say, I don't, I don't think you can be appropriately feminine here, you won't go there. So for, I'll give you a couple of examples of those. I would find it almost in, impossible to believe that a woman should or could be a drill sergeant in the military in front of 15 guys. Present arms. Johnson, get that face off you. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I just, I think there's something about that, the directness of it and the forcefulness of it that's built into the military that's just inappropriate. I would, I, here's, this is a little more questionable. I'll give you one more example. I like doing risky things like this. Some, some of you walk out and say, I can't believe he can't, he thinks women can't be. I, I don't think a woman should be a referee behind home plate. I'm an umpire, umpire. And you know, like this with their guy. So it's just now if if you went there and said, Yeah, but she could do it like a woman. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know whether that has been helpful at all. Um, I, I have seen single women who believe in the vision of complementarity. That's the, the name of what I'm talking about here. Who are Competent, articulate, mature, uh, useful, um, productive, positive, easy to be around, and they affirm male headship, and they're navigating their singleness with great aplomb, and I just think that's possible and doable. I, I, I can't imagine that it would be anything otherwise in view that God is sovereign, and uh, in our culture, anyway, uh, singleness is the lot of men and women until by some amazing stroke they get married. And I say amazing stroke because <laughs> we had more time. I tell you my story, I just think I'd ever, ever get married because I was such an, an introvert and so insecure and wouldn't ever ask a girl to do anything. Fears she'd say no and oh all, and, and look at this. I've been married forty years this December. How did that happen? Sheer grace, sheer miracle. You know, we just happened to be in the same room at the same time and started talking. It'll happen if God if God wants it to happen. It'll happen. I'm now supposed to pray.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, if I have said anything amiss, unbiblical, unhelpful, just cancel it out and give discernment to these uh, men and women. Give them discernment. And may they be able to take true things and go further with them. Draw out the, the implications for their lives, I pray. And Lord, for those who deep down would love to be married, I pray that they would be unashamed about that, prayerful about it, content on their way toward it, and that in this church, and other churches represented here probably, in these churches there would be a very natural, mature, wholesome way for those kinds of relationships to to develop and for those who are content to move forward and serve you as singles may that prosper lord and may they be protected may all of us be protected from sin glorify your name in our lives now we ask in jesus name amen